Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. She got the call to go in for an audition for The Sopranos on a Tuesday. By Wednesday morning, she was Carmela. Welcome, Edie Falco. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is the multiple award-winning actress, Edie Falco. Edie has been in many films, but some of them include The Unbelievable Truth, Trust, Laws of Gravity, Bullets Over Broadway, Judy Berlin, Freedom Land, Sunshine State, Random Hearts, Three Backyards, and The Comedian. Some of her most well-known TV credits include roles on Homicide, Life on the Street, Oz, Sopranos, 30 Rock, Nurse Jackie, and Horace and Pete. On Broadway, she starred in Sideman, Night Mother, Frankie and Johnny in The Claire de Lune, and The House of Blue Leaves. She is the mother of two. She's a native New Yorker. She's a passionate advocate for human rights and animal rights. She is in my podcast booth today. Welcome, Edie Falco. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm really thrilled that you're here. I was thinking on my way over that I know exactly the year I met you, which is a rare thing for someone you didn't go to college with, because I met you in 1988 when I was working with our mutual friend, Matt Malloy, on a TV series. And I think he and I were going to a dinner, and and you came with him. Was that the Robert Altman dinner or something? Oh, of course. I went with him. That's right. And so... I've known you a long time. Very long time. Uh, For some reason, I was thinking that we originally met New York Stage and Film, like a play that was going to be done there that you had something to do with or something. But maybe that maybe I had already known you. I think that's absolutely true. But my participation in that theater company happened after I did that series. Okay, Um, January eighty eight. 
back in the 20s. Yes. And uh, <laughs> my first talkie yes, is when no, I met I remember you. remember well. You went to college that had an arts program, uh-huh. and you were a drama major. Yes. Originally, I wasn't. I went to SUNY College at Purchase as a liberal arts person, just because I had no intentions of doing acting as a career. I just thought, well, I don't know, I'll do it at night, or I'll do plays on the weekend, or whatever. So I went as a liberal arts major, and some of my friends who had been in the theater in my high school had gone there already in the um, theater department. And I was so jealous seeing them going back and forth to their acting classes. Anyway, I got very sick the second week of school as a liberal arts major. I got mono and hepatitis second week of school. So they sent me home. Yes. Uh, during that year home, I decided I'm going to audition for the theater department. And that's when that I happened. come back. When so I come back. That's awful. Yes. I'm so sorry that happened. I'm but very pleased. At very this glad point. in the end. Yes. What a great turn of events for all of us who uh-huh. are reaping the benefits of your great work. So let's go back because sometimes I have the right information and sometimes the wrong information. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I recall your mom had been an actress. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So when you were growing up, was she acting in the theater? She was doing community theater for, for a long time. And she had been a part of summer stock when she was in her teens, I guess. She wasn't acting throughout my whole childhood. But at a certain point when I got a little older, she started again in community theater and I used to go with her. And so where did this begin for you? That was where it started. I would go to her rehearsals and her performances, and I was sort of obsessed. I mean, I would go every single night and sit in the audience or, you know, backstage. And they were grown-ups, and they had real jobs and real lives and families. But at night, they would go and, like, put on these outfits and pretend to be other people and tell these stories. And they'd stay out late afterwards and go out and have a beverage together. It just seemed like the most magical kind of thing and, and so ungrown-up, you know. Yeah. Um, was this in Long Island? Or Long on Island. Lo- Do people say in Long Island or on Long on Island? On Long Island. This was on Long Island. Yes, yes. Okay. I never realized that's what people say. Yes, it was on the Long Island. Mm-hmm. That's when I started to realize I kind of... Loved and did it. you ever do anything with her or perform in this theater troupe? I did uh, eventually end up doing some little parts and plays there. And I think I was in one play that my mother was in, but we had we had no, um, you know, no things together. But yeah, that's how I started doing community theater uh, after I had been watching my mom for years. So did she yeah. have a job or was she? Really- yeah, she had a job. Like a, you know, she's had a million different jobs, but she worked in advertising for a while. She was a DJ of a DJ. I mean, she was a. You know, um, on a radio station, she was one of the people who she was spinning records. Over. Yeah, she yeah. was a, yeah, a spin master, right? Mama spin master. <laughs> that's what you guys call her, right? Yeah, still Little known fact. I'd forgotten that's where Mom. that started. <laughs> but she had many jobs over the years, and at night she'd go and do her plays. It was I love it. magnificent. I thought. What about your dad? Was he artistic? He was. Yes, he was a painter and a sculptor, and had gone to the. It wasn't the high school of music and art at that at that time. It was. Because he was a musician, he was he played the drums, and so he ended up going to. I feel like it was a. It wasn't called music and art. I think it was separate. Okay. But um. Anyway, that's where he went from Brooklyn, which was a big occurrence in my family. You know that he had actually, uh, I guess, auditioned for the school and got right. into this school, and you know it was kind of a big thing. So yeah, Dad had always been creative and was always his artwork was all around my house. So yeah, so like they are. You know, artsy types. That's great. And did you grow up in a big family, a small family? I have an older brother and a younger brother and sister. Okay. Which to today's standards is a large family, but not so much back then. Did you do plays in high school or were you sort of part of the theater geek community? A little bit. I did a little bit, but I was very shy. I was. It took me a very long time to get comfortable with people. So I didn't 
audition for the plays. I'd see them, much like my college experience, I'd see them kind of going on. And then you get hepatitis. People. Yeah, and then I got sick every year at the same time. <laughs> and I thought, why, why should why am I sick? I finally worked up the nerve to uh, audition in high school on my sophomore year. And that's sort of when it started, yeah. It's so interesting to me, and it, it makes complete sense, and this is so Psychology 101, but so many of the people that I have chatted with were so shy mm-hmm. and ended up going into the performing arts. Yeah. And it's a really fascinating thing to kind of track that. Yeah. What allows someone, I mean, on on a most superficial level, I get it. Like, it's not me, it's the character. Right. And I'm sort of able to kind of navigate it all through the script that somebody else gives me. That's right. I don't have to take responsibility for the actions or the decisions because it's not my writing. It is complicated stuff. I think it is keeping yourself in the shadows for much of your life and desperately wanting to be known, I guess, Mm -hmm. to be loved uh, and, yeah, and finding that sort of circuitous route to to get to it. Were you shy inside your family's house or were you more comedic and funny and entertaining because there's like the outside person that we present and then at home people are like I was a clown when I was home yeah 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 no I wasn't I I mean I wasn't introverted either you know I mean I was in my comfort zone obviously so I was a little bit (laughs) my siblings would argue with this I was a little bit of a goody two-shoes you know like I was pretty straight laced and you know my brothers did the requisite marijuana smoking in the room next That's to me. That's illegal for anyone I, listening. We're they, not advocating. They have put, they've done their time. Um, they paid the price. But, I, you know, and I would tattle on them and, you know, which really endeared me to them, as you can imagine. Right. So, yeah, and I was, you know, I was good in school. I mean, or at least, you know, I was diligent. So, yeah, I was always pretty straight-laced, even in, in my family. I, would, I wasn't never one of those um, rebellious kids. Uh-huh. I just wasn't. It seems to me one of the things that I love about you as a person. And I think anyone who knows you would agree that this is a really appropriate adjective, loyal. Mm. You seem like a very loyal person and friend. And part of why I say that as an objective observer of sorts is that I see a lot of people in your life on screen with you along the way (laughs) or in different places. And I know that one of the most magical parts of getting a certain amount of success is an opportunity to share that with people, right? It's a rare thing. Even as a powerful actress, it's so rare that you can go, and I want this friend and that. They're like, great, they can audition seven times. Yes, exactly, like everybody else. Great, but we'll definitely audition them. (laughs) Thank you. But I feel like there's a kind of merry band of people Uh that you met all the way back in college. Right that kind of appear every once in a while. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's my experience of No, it. I think you're right. I think you're right. I would love to take credit for that, though. Right. And I, and I, I, I mean, you I, can, I even if it's not true. I know, exactly. <laughs> that seems to happen a lot yeah. these days, but we won't get into that. <laughs> no, um, this is not, alter- there's not one alternative fact. Thank God. These, <laughs> these are, are little known these are exactly actual facts. Act- as far as whatever that used yes. to mean. But yes, a lot of us went to school together and kind of helped each other Along, like I went to school with Hal Hartley, who did Unbelievable Truth and Trust, and uh, and with Nick Gomez, who did Laws of Gravity. Both of these things, or all of these movies, were movies that I did that got some attention because of the filmmakers. Yeah. And you know, it was in the early, early days of independent movies. And uh, really, you know, and then the first job I got was because someone had seen Laws of Gravity. You know, so it kind of started there. 
a lot of my actor friends, we have traveled in the same circles. And I, I, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily because of anything I did. I mean, a lot of us, including the filmmakers, knew each other from school. And so mm-hmm. they would call me, but they'd also call this one and that one. And, you know, which has been so much, it's, it's kind of been like a repertory company in a weird way that has followed me around for all these years. That's um, incredible. And still to some extent. Like Paul Schulze, who was in Nurse Jackie. I don't know. We've done like a gazillion projects together. Movies, I know. He plays, was in Laws of Gravity. Right. I remember that movie. My friend Arabella, Arabella Field right. was in that film that's from right. way back because I went to college with her. And that's oh, how I didn't I, know that's how you guys knew each yeah, other. Yeah, learned about that film. And, you know, I was just saying to a, a young editor in this facility where we record this podcast. Indeed. I was telling her that these filmmakers that you've just, you know, Nick Gomez and Hal Hartley, this was the beginning, the the indie film world as we know it, it was the Wild West sure. at that time. And sure was. I remember just watching them and, and just feeling like, oh, this is like watching a documentary with actors. I mean, <laughs> it was really the beginning of kind of a certain American take on indie film. Obviously, right. Europeans were kind of doing very gritty, naturalistic sort of stuff. And also because finances had no part in it. Right. So the people who were there wanted to be there, had taken time off their day jobs or whatever it might cost them to do this. The motivation was simple that you wanted to make these movies. And it just feels different, you know. And I, I've done a, a few independent movies in the last year or so, and I didn't realize even how much I missed all that. Yeah. Just it's a very different visceral feeling when you're on a set with a group of people who really want to be there. So. And all have the same goal in mind. Yeah. When you were at school, was that the first time you had taken an acting class? Yeah. I went to acting school because I wanted to act. I, it didn't wasn't so much that I wanted to learn acting. Not that I knew it already, but on some level, I, I wasn't sure it was something you could learn. Mm. What I knew, I mean, I haven't thought about it since the early 80s. I went there because I knew they had a great facility. The theaters there at SUNY Purchase are phenomenal because they're kind of owned by the town. They're not part of the SUNY um, structure or whatever, right. the state university structure. So they're fancy, beautiful they're theaters. They're beautiful. And, yeah. and they're owned by Westchester and all the Westchester people come and see stuff. They're all kinds of great stuff. I knew they had a great facility and I knew I'd get to act there. So I am not sure uh, about the acting classes that I took. On some level, they they made it harder for me. Like they were putting uh, labels and words to something that I was never able to uh, describe. And there were a lot of actors I went to school with who were great at giving the information back to the teacher and saying, well, in that moment, I looked to the upper left and I accessed the numbers that, you know, whatever. They just, All the stuff that we were learning that was uh, it's like when they say when you ask a centipede how to walk or whatever. Like all of a sudden I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was sure I was terrible because I could never – figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing. And and this is not a blanket statement. There are some fantastic things that I remember my acting teacher saying, although it didn't come to fruition for me until 20 years later. I was right. like, oh, my God, that's what he was talking about. I left there feeling like I knew less than when I got mm. there. And what I had really lost to some extent was my confidence. I kind of went in there feeling like there's this thing that I do and I love it. And then I left there feeling like I'm never going to work. I don't look like these other women. I don't know how to tell the teacher that I understand the work. So I don't know. For, this is a, totally not what I'm supposed to be saying. No, it is because I think I think everyone's experience is different. Yeah. And there are a lot of people listening going, oh, that's me. Hmm. So I don't have to stop doing it just because I can't. I would love to think that yeah. was the case because yeah. I, I don't know what it was. I mean, they tried to at one point kick me out because they said I had a sibling S, the teacher who I, you know, many years later I've come to love, but um, he said to me, you'll never work in TV or film. 
And he was right. I know, and I still blame that. <laughs> Should have taken the goddamn class. I classes. mean, with, if you could do an S for me now, I might be able to get you. <laughs> I, I think I could probably do that. Yeah, um, you could totally do it. So, and you know, things no, like that. But those you know, and things... also, I was not an ingenue, and all the rest of the women were these very ingenue-looking women who had been told their whole lives that they were beautiful and they were the most talented. And I was so out of my league there. Anyway, some by hook or by crook, I got through the four years, and I, I uh, you know, felt confused and stuck it out. And so what happened when you got out? Did you move to New York City? Right away, in uh, whatever year that was. Moved right to New York City and lived with Todd Graff. The wonderful actor. The wonderful and phenomenal writer, director, renaissance man. man. Absolutely. Yes. I Right out of school, I got a movie. I had to be on the set the day after I graduated, and I thought, I am set. You know, <laughs> of course, I did not work again for five or six years after that, and I went through my, you know, right. bit of a bit of a low point. But yeah, so I did a movie. Todd Graff was in it and said, "I need a roommate," and I had no place to live, and so I ended up living in a uh, an apartment with Todd Graff. What was that movie? Sweet Lorraine. Okay, it's called with Maureen Stapleton and Trini Alvarado and Giancarlo Esposito, Evan Handler, all these people that are still in the world, you yes. know, and I still cross paths. With I feel these like people. they were all in the place six degrees of separation, <laughs> and then they and then they went to do that movie. That's, That's incredible. Right. That's right. Did you get that because Todd recommended you, or did you have to audition for well, it? Well, I didn't know Todd until I got to oh, the okay. set. Oh, okay. Okay. What it was was the league auditions. Do you remember them? Yeah. There was a. SUNY Purchase was a league school. Okay. So we did that. We did the series of auditions at the end of the four years. It's kind of like the carrot at the end of the stick that we had for all yeah, the four for years. Certain schools, which, absolutely. of course, would have kept me in the program, even though I was feeling somewhat, you know, demoralized. No, but it was an entree, perhaps, to a professional to a, to career. A, that's right. So we, uh, I got it out of the league auditions. Crazy. So crazy. Do you remember what monologue or scenes you did for the league auditions? I did something from Beyond Therapy. And, and it got you that movie. And it got me that movie. And something else. I don't remember what the okay. other one was. But, okay. Could uh, you do a little do you, Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I was hoping you'd ask. All right. Hang on. Picture, if you will. No. Um, a lot of letter S's in a row. <laughs> so you get that movie. Yeah. We're off to a great start. You have this adorable roommate in New York City yep. named Todd Graff. Right. You've met, first of all, Maureen Stapleton. Yes. Who's kind of a, a, a legend. Icon, absolutely. Right? Out of the gate. You said, like... Then that did not continue. Not right many, away. Many many years. So did you have sort of? Were you a waitress or did you have yes. like? Okay, I waited tables for uh, many years. Were you a good waitress? Uh, I could handle a million tables because my brain works worked no yes. longer. It's no, the no, short no, term memory thing is long gone. Yes. But so I could handle a lot of tables. I you just didn't just don't talk to me. That was the problem. And right. I had to deal with the actually look into the eyes of someone. I couldn't. I couldn't. I was so unhappy. I was just so unhappy having to do that job. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I could work a busy restaurant, but when it came to just sort of like making tips because you're nice, that was not my You forte. were not a charming waitress. I wasn't. Is, I was an unhappy how we lady. Best describe you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, what was the next? Something happened where you went from waiting tables and wiping them down at the end of the night mm-hmm. to playing. Uh, the lead in, you know, Frankie and Johnny at the Claire de Lune. Right. There's been a, there's been, so there was a good reason for that waitressing. You know, it I. It was research. There are, yes, exactly. And the, there are not five seconds of this that I would change. None Except of Except maybe the last five seconds. <laughs> Except right now. Except the mono and hepatitis yes. piece. Other than um, that. No. Because I think every bit of it was important. Part of it is that uh, a lot of rough years in New York, but very similar to so many other stories I've heard. I, I, you know, I, I can't say that I, you know, the hardships of 
but that you know they were very discouraging and you nobody knows how the story will end will i ever end up working will i ever end up able to support myself with this i think i was just so stubborn is what it was and also i knew i was never as happy as i was when i was acting so is that still true it is still true to this day what a great thing I, uh, you know, count my lucky stars every day. Yeah. That not only that I found something that I love, but that I get to do it, you know. And it loves you back. That I am able to support my myself and my children and yeah. live a comfortable life. It's just, I'm almost afraid to say it out loud. Don't. Like the gong. Don't. They know, might. Yeah, exactly. The you're... cane comes and pulls me out of the podcast room. I don't want that to be the case. Yes, That today I don't was the day where it I all went. I never said it out loud before how much it means to me. <laughs> It's really good. So, so I, I just I would buy spa- backstage magazine, show business magazine, and I would do any audition ever for anything I was even remotely right for. And in that way, I was still acting, right. even while I was waiting tables. So, was homicide kind of the first? Well, at some point, I'd been out of school a few years, and and Hal Hartley called me to do the unbelievable truth. And then Nick Gomez, I think, was an editor on that, and he said, "I'm going to do my movie." So I did Laws of Gravity with him. Again, all of these things cost me money because I had to give up my mm-hmm. waitressing shifts. But Tom Fontana, the the inimitable uh, Tom Fontana, co- had seen Laws of Gravity and contacted me and said, I'm doing this show called Homicide, Life on the Streets. I wondered if you would do an episode of it. And I, I played Lee Turgeson's wife. And that was my first like legitimate gig because Tom Fontana had seen a movie I'd done with a college friend. And then he did Oz and brought me onto that. Then I was in the HBO family peripherally, and they called me in for Sopranos, and that's kind of, I guess, you know, there are so many offshoots, the other things that happened, but I think that's the major trajectory. Was it a long process auditioning for The Sopranos? No. Uh, I had heard about it because other friends, Bill Sage, said, oh, I have this audition for a thing called Sopranos. I thought, it's an opera. It's an and opera I thought, show. Yeah, you know, but, but then Bill was going in for it. Right. So I, he doesn't whatever. sing I, opera. No, but I guess, it was, you know, he's uh, stretching himself. So I went in. I read the thing and I thought, well, yeah, I, I know exactly who this woman is. So at is. this point you have an agent. Yes. I mean, oh, oh, the stories. Right. I got an agent right out of college when I got that movie. And then he never called me for years. I finally called him, you know, and he said, oh, no, he left. He's a real estate agent now. Great. Yeah. He was going to call. We were going to call you and tell you to come pick up your pictures. Thank you. So, I mean, I have story after story like okay. that where you just thought, what in God's name am I doing? But anyway, at this point, I guess I had an agent. Somehow. Yes. There's an agent. along there. So it's Meg not. Meg Mortimer. Oh, yeah. Meg Mortimer. Sweet. Uh, and Rosie O'Mortimer. She's That's nice. was another angel who came along and said, she said at some point, you're the best kept secret in this business. Mm. And I thought, well, you could tell somebody whenever you're interested. Right. <laughs> Letting the cat out of the bag because I am uh, <laughs> I know. I'm busted not, broke. Not for nothing. Yeah. It would be great. <laughs> so when you went in on The Sopranos, she was, was she my agent? agent. There was a way in. Like you could yes. say, hey, I heard about this thing. Right. And, okay. Right. So you go um, in. I didn't even say, hey, I heard about this thing. Because as I said, I thought it was, it was right. singers. She called me. She said, they want to see you. They want to see you tonight. It was all very fast. And so I, I read the thing and thought. I know an Italian woman. I just sound, you know, could be any number of Italian people I've known. Right. And, and they'll never cast me. I thought Marissa Tomei or Annabella yeah. Shora or one of those girls that, that I don't know, were more typically physically Italian-American. But that in some ways I think may have freed me up. I went in to do the audition. We did the three scenes that, that I had prepared. And then they said, oh, they threw another one at me. I was like, oh, bring it on. I just felt completely comfortable knowing I wasn't going to get it. The best. Um, and, yeah, and then I got a call. I might even have been that night or the next day where I said that they, I'd gotten it. What? Yeah, that they had been 
looking. They had, you know, auditioned so a million people. I came at the, I think I was like the last person Thank they saw. God. It's kind of like, you know, when you, you cross the street and a car goes, and you get to the side of the road and it's only like three days later where you're like, I almost got killed by that car. I've had that feeling a million times about Sopranos. Like, Jesus Christ, if I hadn't been at least prepared or, you know, I just didn't take it seriously, not in any way knowing what a life change it would be. Or even that they didn't then have you come back and read with James Gandolfini yeah. or put you yeah. through the paces that everyone goes through where right. you go in a hundred times. That's right. That's right. I don't know. I don't know the story. I know that... Uh, was David Chase in the room? David Chase, the man, the HBO guy. Chris Albrecht? Chris Albrecht. Yeah. That's right. Think uh, uh, Walken, uh, George Ann Walken. Yes, love her. Johnny V. And I think that might have been it. It was in a hotel room, the Mayflower Hotel. Cool. It was all so like, it's like bizarre. what? I'm doing what? This is a real show. Yeah, I know. That's exactly was a little bit like, listen, I'm just going in the midst of my day and... So then yeah, at so some point, like, a deal is made. A deal is made. Like, it's a real thing. I was immediately, it a pilot? It or? was a pilot. Okay. Just the pilot. And I immediately paid off my student loan with that check. Because uh, I had been, Smart. you know, it had been trailing me for so long. I was playing, paying just the minimum, in which case you're not actually touching the, the, the loan itself. So, yes, I used that money to pay off my loan. It was a huge piece of my life yeah. to not worry about finances. Just for a minute, even. Yeah. Yes, we shot the pilot. And I didn't hear anything, which, you know, you shoot pilots and you don't hear anything. That's more likely than not going right. to be the case. And I think it was, I don't, you know, I'm so bad with this stuff. But at some point, David Chase called me and said uh, that they'd picked us up for a year. And I, I was dumbfounded and immediately called a realtor. So I could get out Your of my... Your ex-agent. What's that? Your ex-agent. My ex... <laughs> you Hi. remember me? Hi. I, I do actually need you now. Uh, <laughs> and I'll yeah. bring my photos in yeah. case for any reason you might need to remember who I am. We could wallpaper part of it. And just said I need to get out of my fifth floor walk-up. Because I just knew with the money I'd make, I'd be able to have a, a, a bigger place. I feel like you were very thoughtful and, and about how to handle this before you even knew what was coming Yeah, well, ahead. all I knew is what I had been guaranteed was a season, right. which was, I guess, 13 episodes. Yeah. And knowing what I'd get paid, I figured I can at least for a couple of years live on this income this is, and right. get a, a bigger apartment. It was a teeny little... But it was place, yours. But it was mine. So when you think about, of course, the appointment that came to you at four and you have to go in at seven, yes. and then that kind of laying the groundwork for a character that you lived with for a really long time, yeah. was it just one of those things where... There just was this kind of, it almost sounds that I don't mean to diminish in any way what you did, that that the finding of her wasn't that hard. No, it wasn't. I mean, I knew as soon as I read it. Yep. You're like, I got her. It just went, yeah. I mean, and the I am Italian-American. Yes. And the, of course, the writing. My name also. is Judy Falco. Yeah. I'm Italian. <laughs> Thank you for sharing <laughs> yeah, that with people. Thank you. Yes. Right. And, you know, I come, I've been around these people my whole life. Is the Falco family a sort of... Uh, it was large brood yes. of um, passionate Holidays, people. Yes, loud and passionate and ever, ever eating. Is your mom Italian also? No, my mom is Swedish. Okay, so and that's where the some semblance of yes um, decorum. <laughs> decorum. Okay, okay. There's some balance. Yes, exactly. The yin and the yang. Right. Exactly, exactly. Depending on what day it is. But I she find fell in love with your dad, who was of that world. Yes, and he continued the tradition of the Sunday dinners through my whole childhood. Where were they? They were on Long Island, too. Okay. And we lived on the south shore of Long Island, so it was a bit of a trip to their house. And then we eventually moved all of 10 minutes from them and then did that for my whole life until about 
six or seven years ago, in fact, uh, the death of my grandmother, um, which was a huge, oh, huge sure. thing. I mean, everybody sca- scattered, you know, and went to the to live with their children who'd moved to Florida or, you know. But she fr- had been the glue. She was it. And when she passed, holidays were very weird. Like, we were all like, it was like musical chairs and the music, the music stopped. Everybody had a chair. And I was like, um... It was crazy, really big thing. But it was a huge part of my life, the Italians. Yes. So so these people were in my system. Absolutely. Am I right that after the first season only, all the nominations started coming in? Was it that... Quick? I think it was. I don't mean to embarrass you. No, but no, I'm just no. It's okay. I don't ever, I don't, I'm just awful with this stuff. But yes, I think it was the first year. We got a lot of attention. I think we won like nothing. But you're nominated, and yeah. suddenly all of suddenly this suddenly it was happening. this whole big thing. And we were all Lorraine Bracco had done other stuff, but mm-hmm. other than that, we were all sort of actors, just kind of vaguely making it enough to kind of live. And this thing was happening too. It was like going. It was like being in the war. You know, yeah. they're like war buddies. We, yeah. Our lives changed so dramatically as a result of this show. For the better, no question, but also complicated for those of us who were not built to withstand that kind of attention. It was complicated. It was, uh, you know, it was um, traumatic in a way. Well, you described yourself as shy. First of all, anyone who's had the privilege of shooting a show on location in New York or New Jersey, you're really exposed. You're sort of shooting on the streets where people are living and, you know, you're not sequestered, you know, on a Hollywood back lot somewhere. So the grittiness and the realness is all there, but you're also really with the people that you're playing. That's right. And so do you feel like over time you've sort of developed a relationship to that that you have a handle on somehow? I'm getting there. We finished it 10 years ago now. And right. So, and so it means we started it 20 years ago, which is unbelievable. And Aida Tutura and I... I love her. Me too. She's a good friend. And over the summer, we thought we would sit and... There are many episodes I've never seen. I thought, let's just sit and watch the damn yeah. thing in order. We got, I think, four episodes in and we we're like, I can't, I, I can't do it. It was just too evocative, you yeah. know, like seeing Jim, who right. we were all, first of all, so young. Jim was also half the size he was yeah. by the time we finished shooting. And uh, just remembering, oh, my God, remember that location? Oh, so-and-so. I, and it was too much. You know, I have a full day with my kids, and then I sit down at night, and I didn't want to be dealing with that much emotion. So four episodes in, we stopped. Right. I didn't realize it I'm would sure still be saw, so like, though, uh... it's really good. <laughs> I mean, oh, you had to you. see sort of a little bit of why it remains part of the landscape of American I don't, culture. I still don't have a perspective right. enough to be able to like, well also I don't know that I'm ever very good at this like when we shot the pilot I got a rough cut and I, I watched it and then I actually showed it to my parents and my parents gave me a look I don't think they've given me since which was like this is this is really good and I and I thought ah my parents you know yeah. I wasn't in the habit of showing them things I had done but yeah so my parents recognized something about it even when I read the pilot I just thought I know who this woman is and I totally get this. thing. I, I, I'm not good. T- I know how much I love something. I don't have my finger on the pulse of the, what the world responds to. So obviously at that time, you were not in a position of like, I'll choose that script and not, not that script. Not at all. You know, you were at the beginning of your career. Right. You probably would have taken it even if it was not good. Absolutely right. But since then, that show, aside from it being wonderful and it, it bringing tremendous attention to your talent, it also probably put you in a position to start choosing things when that was done. A little bit, yes. You know, it's funny because Dominic, people know my husband played 
Edie's husband, uh, Nurse Jackie, which is a show that came later. And I think I may have told you this before, but more than once, someone has introduced me as Edie Falco's husband's wife. And I felt that that was one of the greatest... We were at the post office, and she was like, I know you. Oh, my and you're, God. You're, and it was like, oh my God. do you know what? That's kind of amazing. And wow. it's too long to, like, change my name legally to oh that. Oh, my God. That's long. hysterical. But I thought it was kind of great. But I remember oh. Dominic saying that in some ways on that show, and we'll, we'll get to Nurse Jackie in a minute, he felt like the kids and him and you were one show. And That's then the right. hospital said. That's right. I felt the and same way. And so it was kind of like he'd go to the rap party and be like, these people seem amazing. Yeah, and every they're once so in nice. a while, Kevin yeah. would come into the hospital and people would be like, who are you? <laughs> Who's this guy? Yeah, I'm her husband. Right, exactly. Um, but in some ways, I wondered if similarly, The Sopranos was a huge cast, right. a huge band of, of characters. Yes. But there was sort of Tony's work life right. and his family. That's and right. I wondered if you felt like you had crossover with the rest of the ensemble or was it more family and work on that show? Did you get to know everyone? I did ultimately get to know everyone, but it was not through the work relationship. That's one of the things I loved most about the read-throughs. It was the only time I got to see half the cast members, you know, but also through all of the attention we had gotten and the award shows and events. traveling to things together. I got to know them, but not as Carmela. I actually got to know them as me, you know, which, um, which was really nice. But yeah, it is a weird thing to be, to have uh, almost like a separate cast. Do you see any of those people? Aida, you were saying, is still I see a great Aida. friend. Uh, she's a dear friend. I also knew her a little bit before Sopranos. And uh, Eileen Landris, who, who was the producer, is a friend of mine. Okay. Who you got to know while you were doing the show. Yes. Okay. I knew her a teeny bit before, but uh, I got to know her from Sopranos. And we still, you know, we see each other out during the summers and all that. And I think that's it. When I see someone like Jeff Marchetti, who is the prop guy, mm-hmm. the, you know, he's working on a show. And I see him and I we run across the oh, room I like, like uh, Miss Piggy and Kermit. You know, just I, I absolutely adore these people. And by the same token, life moves on, especially in the, the nature of this business that we're in. You have a whole new family and a whole new group of people about whom you may feel that same way. It doesn't make my love for these people any less, but just as a matter of day-to-day life, I don't see them. And and I don't make the time to, which is its own thing, that you wonder what that's about. But on on another level, it's sort of – maybe it's kind of hard to also because you don't have the day-to-day stuff to talk about. You don't share this show anymore. It's just a – it's a weird thing for someone like me or anyone who's sensitive – to get so intimate with a group of people and then have them disappear. It's, it's weird. It's pretty strange. I mean, we're, it's like circus folk, it right? Is, it's right? sort of this, you know, you travel through town and, and you're there and then you pack up the tent and you go around. But Give a big his kiss and a hug yeah, and wonder if you'll see them again. But not to be corny, they're in your heart, right? The oh, for coming sure. poem, like I carry you in my, it's like they're there. Absolutely and, and right. you know that they would, you pick up the phone out of the blue and you'd be there for them and that's they'd be right. there for you. And that's family. That is absolutely right. There is a shorthand, you know, when I see anyone from the cast or crew, like, it is like family. You feel immediately your heart is standing next to them because you've been through this thing together. And so I know there was like a moment where you got to kind of visit a whole other planet of television, which is 30 Rock. Yes. I know you always talk about yourself as not a comedic person, although obviously the rest of the world disagrees with you. (laughs) But doing that kind of single camera, half hour. I was um, so out of my realm. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do it. I just wanted to see like how what. How can I terrify myself? Exactly right. Yeah, God knows life had gotten too easy. 
or something. Did they offer you that part? They did. And did it? Were you like, this doesn't make any sense? Yes, thank yes, you. Absolutely Sign me right. Up. Absolutely. Well, it was part. It's that part of me that's going, no, God, of course not. And the next thing I know, I'm saying, yeah, of course. You know, like I hadn't talked it over with myself, but suddenly I was, I was agreeing. <laughs> you called to your it. realtor agent, and you were <laughs> like, what do uh, I do? It yes, no. But I did it because I knew it would be hard and it would be challenging. I, and the truth of the matter is I enjoyed it less than I had hoped I would because mm. I never really felt like I got it. I right. never really felt like I had it in my But the system. rhythms are kind of the pacing. Exactly. I would watch Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin and be like, that's – it's in their systems. They just totally – either they learned from doing it so much or they already had it. It's a different kind of – and Alec said to me at some point, all the things that you taught yourself not to do because it was bad acting, you do it here. It's just big, and you know, it's not based on any of the kind of questions you ask yourself if you're doing a drama. So anyway, I was thrilled to have gotten to do it and to watch these masters, but I never felt, I never quite got my sea legs. Didn't you get nominated or win an award for that? I, I like sure you... didn't win anything. I, you know, I think I may have been nominated. I feel like but, you but, but, uh, were. I mean, that was very kind of them, but I was, you know what I mean? But it was kind of the industry. Yes, to, to uh, and acknowledge people... my challenging myself right. in that way, but... Nah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I could see. I, I felt very. I watched an episode. I watched one of the episodes. I did. I thought, ooh, I was kind of watching on. Mm. No, but you had I, to think you looked really pretty. You looked so pretty. Oh my gosh! Didn't no. you feel so pretty? I thought you looked beautiful. A Thirty Rock. Yeah. Oh God, no, I, I don't know. Oddly enough, I don't remember that coming across yes. my mind. But thank Super you. Super attractive. Thank you to me and and others. Thank you. So thank when you. Nurse Jackie came along, I don't think it's a secret. You've been very public about your sobriety, uh-huh. although private about the prompts for it. So obviously. What a perfect storm in the best possible way with a great, great, um, you know, sunset afterwards (laughs) of kind of taking on this thing that is sort of the person who didn't make good decisions about how to do it. So was that kind of a no brainer or did you have to really think about it in terms of not just for you, but in someone who has been not a spokesperson, but very open about what being in a program has meant to you or going to right. meetings or sort of what that community has meant for you to place someone who not only wasn't in that community, manipulated it at times. Right. How do you choose the material that you choose? If you're not auditioning, like with the pool of us at the same time, what's well, the I have to say, litmus test? After Sopranos, I was reading a lot of stuff. The only thing I knew is I wanted something quite quite. A distance from that. No and of nails. course, all I got, yeah, yeah, all I got was stuff, you know, big haired Italian ladies for a long time. It's, mm-hmm. you know, God bless the casting community, but they want they want a sure thing. Oh, get Edie for that. She does that. She, yeah, we've seen her and we know yeah. she's good with that. This came along and it was nothing like that. And it was also nothing like the Nurse Jackie that was on the air. Okay. It was called Nurse Mona. There was no drugs. There were no drug stuff. Um, she was. Who was Nurse Mona? She was dark and just had a dark persona. Did she, she also have had, a secret? She did. And I think it's that she was cuckoo. Like you find out at the end, she keeps talking about her husband or her boyfriend or something. And then you find out at the very end, you see her at a table. She's talking to someone having something like this. And I hope I'm not getting her. Right. Then the camera pulls back and you see she's there's nobody there. She has a pretend <laughs> relationship with someone. That kind of sounds Yes. Great. It was psychotic. Yes. And she also had this thing where she she kept a little something from all the people that died. So she had like a drawer with all this. Oh there was something about it that I love. I love this. it. She, that she was, she had a she was mean spirited in a way, but just kind of a mess. Sounds very strange. That was and the awesome. script I responded. Okay, to. Showtime bought it. They bought a comedy. 
And so they sort of punched up the script and it turned into this very different thing. And in the midst of it was added this drug piece. I, I felt that little thing in my system. Well, like, that's not, you know, but I eventually ended up being okay with it. All I said was, you can make it a comedy, but that part you got to do with some respect okay. for, for the reality of that. For anyone who's been through that as, you know, themselves or family, it's not a joke. And at least if we can treat that with the respect it deserves, I'll be okay. Which I think they did. I think they did that pretty accurately. But just like I'm also a, a, a breast cancer survivor, and I often – I would given I was given a script at some point, a, uh, a woman who had breast cancer, and I was like, yeah, no, can't do it. I, right. I just – you feel it. Like, you know, I think it's – um, but when I not got, that one, not that one, and yeah. not at that time was was a bigger piece. This was far enough. I was already twenty years sober, or something mm-hmm. like that, or eighteen years sober when we started. I felt a, a great enough distance where it didn't feel like it was even relevant to my life anymore. I'd traveled such a distance from there that I, I almost welcomed the opportunity to kind of look at it a little more fine tooth comedly, you know. Obviously, on that show, Dominic, my husband, and you shared two children. I know that for my kids, there's some excitement and strangeness when Dominic or I are playing parents of oh, other yes. kids. Oh, yes. And for for your children, d- does that come up? Like, my kids were like, we don't really want to visit this. That's exactly Like, they were excited, right. but they didn't really want to. It was too I, weird. It's funny. We, nobody's ever talked about this with me. But, yes, my daughter – my son was like, yeah, whatever. Yes. My, my daughter – has had a very she although not quite verbal about it she she would sort of look at these women kind of like look them up and down i've played a lot of uh, i've had a lot of daughters over yeah. the years she then she kind of ended up befriending them in almost like a psychotic way <laughs> you know like hi and she would jump into and their then, like putting little like, pins in there right <laughs> hi when they're not around yeah but she would always go into their dressing rooms and interrupt them and grab them and they're you know like almost antagonizing them. It was very strange. And I sort of got... I understand that, what you're describing, though. Right? Yes, like, totally. Like, how can I get If I can't beat them, and... join them kind of a thing right. or something. Like, I'm not going to... With a psychotic gleam in that's, my eye. That's right. At a certain point, I, I kind of picked up on this, and I, I always made a point of introducing whoever it was. This is my pretend daughter. This is my real daughter. Yeah, and giving totally. a big hug. And, yeah. She was really uncomfortable with it. It's changed a little now as she's gotten more able to speak her mind about these things. But um, back then it was it was veiled by all this odd behavior. Are they interested in acting? Has it come up? Have they asked to do it with you? Or? No, not so much. I think they get a kick out of what I do. It's not a big part of our home life. I'll just say, I have to go do this thing and uh, whatever. It's a whatever. I'll, and they're not impressed by it, but they're also not, you know, nauseated by it. It's just what mom does. Although I just got a, I just got to see a screening of a movie I did last year, and I forgot my daughter was on set one day, and they put her, it's a crowd scene at Yankee Stadium, and they just put her in the crowd. The camera panned across my daughter, and I almost lost it. Oh, my God, Macy, look at the camera. You're I like, told her this you're morning. Like, you like, got to do this. <laughs> what if you became I'll be your agent. Like, right, like I'm going to become that mom. Oh, my God. No, she's got to be in the front. That's right. Move she's, Macy, get in, get in there, honey. So I was I was surprised how thrilling it was to Aww. see her in it. So, but anyway, the, the, other than when they're in the things, um, you know, they're they're not all that interested in it. They have their own interests. But we'll see. Time will tell. Do you have other families in your lives or friends in your life with a single parent raising a child? Do they have other? No, no, no. You know, it's a thing. You know, my kids don't have a dad, and that's like a definite thing. Like Father's Day, or you know, all the fathers are supposed to come in and do a thing. You know, it's something. That I contend with and that they contend with, you know, and I want to make sure that they know they can talk about it. I I hope it doesn't make them uncomfortable. By the same token, I had 
kind of inadvertently, they have many men in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Sage. Is I've one. heard that about you. <laughs> <laughs> I said they have many yeah. men in men in their lives. <laughs> I leave um, the house yeah. when those men are there. <laughs> For the record. Just so you know. Yes, but close um, family Bill friends. Sage. Bill yes. Sage is a, is a dear friend, and he is the godfather of my kids, as is Eric Mendelson, who I feel like you must Yes, know. and a wonderful Filmmaker, director. Filmmaker, absolutely yes. right. And they are, they are more present in my kids' lives than a lot of working fathers are because they both have, you know, weird schedules, artist schedules. So, right. So they have the input of men, you know, they have that kind of energy, but it's not the father. And it is just different. And so I, I, I'm opening the conversation to them all the time. So tell me, what is that? So how's that feel? Or right. you know, just to get them to talk about it so they don't have to feel like it's something they can't tell mom they feel bad about or, or whatever. But yes, it is a little bit of uncharted territory for them and for me. But aren't you glad you did it anyway? Totally. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't change anything about it. And we, even with the things that feel like were less perfect than other things or, you know, didn't work out maybe the way I had anticipated or... um. For the most part, it's uh, much like Sopranos. It just it kind of came in on a wind a little bit, and and I just went with it, and and yeah. it, came, it sort of presented itself to me in the most perfect way, uh, one I couldn't have planned. So, when you adopted your son, was it something in the planning for you? I was doing Sopranos. Someplace towards the end of Sopranos is when I was diagnosed with cancer. So I was going through my chemo treatments and stuff. Was this from a regular mammogram? Did you feel something? I felt something. You did. I felt something and I went and had a mammogram and the doctor said to me, you know, women your age have dense breasts and it's just not a thing. Don't worry about it. Let's be sure though. Yeah. No. Anyway, I let it go. And a year later, I it was I was like, you know what? I should get this damn thing mm-hmm. tested. So I got tested and they said, yeah, it's cancer. So I was lucky on so many levels. I mean, obviously it hadn't grown to a place where it would kill me, right. but it it surely could have. Um, so anyway, I was very, very lucky with that. I was going through the treatments during Sopranos, and when I was done with my treatment, that that kind of the thing where you wake up and you're like, oh, you know, that the sort of aha moment yeah. was, I got to do this now. Yeah. I got to, and I, I was, I just ended a big relationship, so I wasn't like, well, let's just see how the next relationship turns out. I was on a mission, right, to be a mom, and so as soon as I finished my treatments, I. Um, Started filling out the paperwork. And, you know, I wasn't, part of me was mortified and terrified about it. Just, just do the paperwork. You take it a step at a time. If you're overwhelmed, you don't have to do it. Filled out the paperwork and went through each little step and went, met with the guy and met with the lawyers. And then, you know, they said, we have a little boy for you. He'll be born in January. And then, and then it just and happened. your son. Next thing I know, I'm in the office and they handed me oh. my son. They said, here's your son. And I looked into the eyes of this little blue-eyed thing. I can't believe I can still get choked up about this. My whole family was there, and, you know, that was my kid. And uh, that was 12 years ago. He just turned 12. And he knew your grandmother. And he knew we got to know my grandmother. Right? Like, yes. when you think about that, yes. and sort of... She was one of the true, uh, like, a real matriarch in an Italian family, and she just absolutely adored him. And got it. Absolutely right. Right. Totally and got so it. so what's the age difference between your Three son and years. daughter? Three years. Three years. Did you talk about it with him? Anderson? About yeah. Talk about what? Like, I think we're going to have another one. Well, he was three. Right. So he was still little. And I, I, I thought maybe just one. But then I got a little nervous about that whole mother-son special kind of relationship that I just thought, That's not that I don't weird. want him to. Yeah, I don't want that to happen. I want, <laughs> right. you know, and I was single as I was raising yeah. him. I didn't want it to be, I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted him to have someone to kind of You'd seen that gang movie. up. But yes, exactly. A couple Hitchcock. of times. I'd probably Hitchcock. been in one of them, too. And I thought, I don't, I, I. I want to give him someone to to fight with and someone to 
gang up against and me take care with. of you with later. That's right, exactly. Yeah. So I, it was mostly so that, you know, I grew up with siblings. It's a big part of who I am, learning to deal with them. And so, yes, yeah, so his daughter Macy was born three years later, and they are both um, at my house right now as we speak. One day, Dominic came home from work, and we have a little dog, and he was like, I just have to tell you, and I was having a really hard time figuring out what to do for my dog. Uh. And he's like, don't laugh, but... but <laughs> I think I know where you're going. Aida Turturro was guesting on the show, I think is like your divorce attorney that's or right. something. That's right. And she and Edie were talking about a pet psychic. That's right. And it sounded to me like it actually had worked. And I want to know if this is an experience that you've had more than once where uh-huh. you've gone to see someone. I know that you're a real advocate for animal rights. Yes. And, and I've seen you out and about promoting like ASPCA and different right. organizations and PETA and just people doing the right thing for animals sure. in the world. Uh-huh. And you've always had a dog or yeah. dogs. Yeah. So in terms of this specific thing... How do you find a, a pet psychic? Do you see psychics for yourself? Yes. Okay. A very, very big yes. I was at a friend's baby shower chatting with some woman, blah, blah, blah. And she told me, oh, I, I know this woman. She's a pet psychic. And I was like, dee, 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 you know. Yeah. And she gave me the woman's name and number. Her name is her name is Tara Argall. She lives someplace out in the Midwest. And I, you know, I'll, I won't tell you the whole thing. But okay. yes, I get you send a picture of your dog. And she called me and told me, the most unbelievable things about this dog that I had adopted. I don't set my clock by these things, but I I love them. They add a dimension to my life. Does this woman also do humans or just animals? I think she does humans as well. Um, less she, interesting. Yeah, less interesting. <laughs> yes. yes, and less cute. <laughs> but, you know, I think she had done some work with autistic kids so that she could actually give a voice to some of these guys, some of these children who weren't verbal. And uh, it was really a tremendous thing. I, I didn't learn that much about the piece of her life that uh, deals with people. I dealt mostly with the, the dog part. Yes, I've spoken to her a number of times. Okay, well, I just want you to know for Dominic Famusa to come home without irony, without making fun of it, oh. just based on who he is in the world, I was like, wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And he's like, so just so you know, we can get the number if it, if it ever right. feels like Lola is in sort of trouble. Uh, yeah, like if she's in trouble. Do you I, still have Lola? Just we do care. have oh, Lola. Great. We Fantastic. have Lola. And, but now she talks. She's amazing. <laughs> and, and she's a psychic <laughs> for people. Exactly. I get it. So that, but not everyone has a special dog uh-huh. like Lola. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can recall, and this is a big jump from my dog to your audition history. Mm. Do you still audition? I haven't in a very long time. And I am so grateful. I mean, I I didn't normally get stuff from auditions. You right. know, sopranos aside, um, I did never. I never presented my best self there. But yes, I'm. I, but God knows, I've done a gazillion of them. Yeah, and so yes, I have a, a number of absolutely awful auditions. Can you choose your most awful one that comes to mind? Oh, Just gosh, so we can end hard. this on a very dark note. Yes. Well, <laughs> gosh, I mean, I, there are so many bad ones. But oh. I, I was auditioning for a manager. I think it was to see if this person wanted to manage me. So I, all I'll say is I was in, I went into audition. I was wearing some outfit I wasn't comfortable in, and I went in to do a monologue. And I went in. It was an office smaller than this or maybe around this size. Maybe it was this. Oh, my God, I'm back. <laughs> I knew there was a familiar air in here. <laughs> yes. The, the guy was behind the desk, and I waited for, like, the person to tell me where the room was or whatever until I realized this was the room I was going to do this audition in. So here he was there, and I just stood on the other side of the desk. He said, all right, start whenever you're ready. And so I kind of, you know, whatever you do to start an 
monologue, you know, got breathed or whatever. And then I started this monologue and, uh, you know, right opposite this man in this teeny room. And uh, the, the phone rang. And he picked up the phone. He just said, go ahead, keep going, keep going. No. And con- and talk- con- proceeded to have a conversation with someone on the phone while I'm doing my monologue. And I'm kind of looking at him and I'm kind of trying to figure. He had a whole conversation. Okay, yeah, I'll talk to you later. Put the phone down. Get. And I finished the monologue. And then he looked at me and said, yeah, okay. You seemed, uh, you know, you were very involved. Thank you. And that was, you know, the last time I've heard from that person. What but it's wrong with people? Yeah. You know, one by one, I'm going to find these people because I am not without that kind of petty. I love um, that drudge system. I am with you, and I'll do it with you. I can only imagine, though, that that now, when often you're on the other side of the table, maybe to read with someone mm. that is is coming in. Oh. I'm sure you're just like, oh my gosh, throwing any love opportunity darts at I them. get to, yeah. to be the kindness that you need. You know, when you're auditioning, I will absolutely jump at. So before we finish, you know, there are certain trials that I'm old enough to have remembered. The Menendez trial. Yes. The O.J. Simpson trial, right. which was recently portrayed on television. Right. So you're going to do the Menendez trial That's right. story. And you're playing Leslie... Abramson. What? That's right. What's drawing you to that? She was such a specific individual during that time. And, I mean, I knew about the trial when it was going on, but I also knew about her, that she was such a, she was such a specific character in that story that kind of really shifted the, the thing on its heels a little bit. And uh, I looked forward to kind of getting in there and, and doing it as, like, where this woman was coming from, what she cared about, what motivated her to defend this kid. From a, a, at least partially a curious place, wanting to find out. And so far, the scripts that I've read have been really fascinating and exciting and so different from anything I've done that I'm kind of excited. Maybe you'll come back and we can talk about that and the psychic for the dog and mm, for the lawyer and uh-huh. all of that. Edie Falco, I am so happy that you came in to I be am. with me. It's just been wonderful. It's so been thank thrill. you. All. Absolutely. Yay. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. We are done. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. 
for the ones who get it done. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 